Hello and welcome to Monocle on Culture. I'm Robert Bound. As art dealers and art aficionados leave Regent's Park, returning it to the quieter safekeeping of ducks and joggers, a hushed buzz is left in the air in the wake of Freeze Week. This year's edition, last week, saw Freeze celebrate its 20th anniversary, so today's show is something of a birthday party. In that spirit, see this episode as an amalgamation of the conversations that take place at the edge of such a party. We've pulled people away from the furore of the fair to talk against the backdrop of that excitable hubbub. And warning, this episode does contain art dealer on art dealer bum pinching. Told you it was a party. We'll be asking one gallery that's been at the fair since its very first edition just how influential Freeze has been over the years, both for dealers and the market and the broader culture. And looking forward, we'll also be speaking to some up-and-coming galleries and artists to ask just how significant is the fair's role in 2023 and one that seems to be on everybody's lips, has it managed to keep its edge? So join us in lifting a glass to Freeze on today's Monocle on Culture. Now, 20 years ago, an art magazine turned into an art fair, a mammoth operation, all called Freeze, led by Amanda Sharp and Matthew Sotover. François Chanteler, now a partner at London's Thomas Dane Gallery, was there to see it all unfold. I asked him about the early days of Freeze and, as one who banged in the pegs for the now notorious billowing white tent, how he remembers that first year. With great anxiety, great anticipation. I mean, nobody, I don't think anyone knew what, what they were doing. I don't think anyone knew what to expect. A fair in a tent in October in London. But Matthew and Amanda told Thomas to jump and we jumped. The thing is that we didn't even have a gallery at the time. We found a, a way in how to participate. It was, it was really about participating, really. I mean, that was the, that was the spirit. So we did it with uh, the great Carsten Schubert, who unfortunately is not here anymore. Uh, we, Thomas and him shared an imprint called Riding House, so we kind of focused around prints or other things. But I mean, it was just, it was just about being there and kind of uh, share everything with everybody. It was great. You've got a smile on your face, a wry smile of reminiscence perhaps on your face, Francois, as you remember those days. What was the spirit of that? It feels like you obviously wanted to participate somehow, but what was the spirit uh, that bonded everyone together? You know, we were still kind of surfing the wave of... Uh, I'd, I'd arrived in London not long before, like four or five years before. It was a city that was very much still surfing the wave of, uh, of the late 80s and 90s and uh, the, the YBAs, these terms that keeps coming back again. It was, it was a real thing. There was, uh, you know, people were doing parties in, uh, in warehouses. Uh, artists were kind of taking the matter into their own hands. A magazine decides to put on a fair. But in a way, it's just probably for very, very, very different reasons than anyone has had ever put on a fair before, right? So there's no, there's no surprise at the end. People always kind of took it as a, as a ground to kind of take more risks, to be a bit more adventurous, to put on a, a, a little show or kind of a, a presentation they would not otherwise do, really. For me, I mean, it's extra special because I, I used to live, I mean, I used to live the fair, literally, the director, uh, you know, we live together. Yes, yeah, no, yeah, no, Victor. And at night, I used to um, take the map of the, the fair and kind of change placements of everybody. And in the morning, she would come <laughs> back and kind of put it back again. You know, I can tell you that now. But anyway. <laughs> and so there was sort of, you're giving, the, you're giving us the idea that there was a little bit more of a punk aesthetic in the early days and a bit of rock and roll. 
but it's still it's there's still fun and games to be had. Yes, I wouldn't say punk necessarily, but really just always a kind of sense that uh, I mean, listen, it's London and a city like no other, you know, where the whole world is, the whole world, world cohabits, and then when, where literally people kind of grow back from the from a field of ruins or from uh, from adversity, and that's uh, that's that spirit, nothing else, you know. It's what gave us punk. It's a uh, Let's call it kind of mature punk. I don't know. It's still there so in, it's, in, it's, in a way. It's Vivian Westwood, but tucked in. Yes, we miss her, right? Yeah, we do. So, yeah, it's still there. It still exists. You know, we are, it's created something that didn't exist really in, uh, in London before, which is proper art week. You go to New York in November, you go to New York in May, you go to London in October. You know. Yeah. It's and obviously Freeze changed the calendar for the auction houses, the mighty auction houses. Everyone sort of changed their clocks to freeze time, I suppose. Could you see that happening 20 years ago? Was it a need? Was, was London, was this bit of Europe at least, crying out for something like this? The sort of autumn vibes? Autumn vibes, falling leaves. Uh, well, now uh, we're ten, being blinded by sunshine. Yeah, ten shake. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. Uh, ten shaking. Can I remember this? Uh, some of the evenings where we literally thought, what if actually that tent is going to get blown away? You know, I used to kind of quiz the organizers and some of this from the corner of my eye and say, are you sure it's not going to happen? Actually, I could tell by the way they looked, they looked back at me that they have absolutely no clue that we would, we, would, we, would get, we would get blown away up to the north. Yeah, That's why you need to have some good solid sculptures on your booth so that they don't get affected by the lashing rain and winds, possibly. Yeah. Anyway, we've gone, through, we've gone through 20 years of that altogether and uh, testament to the, the great camaraderie and uh, the, that is the London art world and it remains like that, no doubt. And what about now? I mean, things have changed, but it still seems to have a really good vibe, a good atmosphere here at Freeze. What is there? Is there a secret? Is, as you mentioned, is there a secret in the camaraderie of the, of the dealers, of the galleries, of the curators, of the gang? What's its secret source, I wonder, I think uh, it's, it's, it's founders, ideals, very much. They always wanted that place, that, that event to be artist-led. We have a lot of uh, programs, a lot of projects. The food is the best. I mean, I'm not saying that lightly. You know, they, I think that actually I was reading what Amanda Sharp was saying about the, that they wanted the best chef, they wanted the best, the best architect. You know, they want to, this fair has been put together by people who want to kind of try to understand what it is to put the best of people in all these fields and, uh, and see what happens. And that spirit has been carried through, you know, Victoria, when she, uh, she kind of conceived and launched uh, Freeze Masters. That was something that had seldom been seen before, you know, and it brought a kind of sense that this, you know, the, the original Fair Freeze London needed to kind of move on a bit, and it, uh, it did. I mean, it keeps, it keeps thinking. Yeah, it's nice. And what about, and here we are standing on the Thomas Dane stand here in 2023, how do you, with such a rich roster of artists at the gallery, how do you pick and choose what goes on the booth here as opposed to Miami, as opposed to any other fairs? So we decided to, de to do less and less fairs because it becomes increasingly obvious that the demand on the artist as well as on ourselves, whether they are, uh, whether they are financial, physical, environmental, are kind of uh, too much, can't bring the artists in all the time to kind of get new artwork. So you, yeah, we also don't want to kind of stick to a formula of knowing exactly how the booth is going to be constructed and we'll look and uh, where we'll show. So... We either invite people to kind of maybe like last year, and Thea Hamilton did a really quite extraordinary project. You know, I just saw um, uh, Michael Landy pass by, and uh, 12 years ago he had this um, this machine that kind of swallowed your credit card, and you got a drawing in exchange. That's right. 
So this year, you know, you start with a couple of works, you know. And some of Michael's works are here, these, yeah, uh, Michael, these ruins. Uh, these future ruins, he's imagined, uh, which, it, you know, uh, was somehow a kind of painterly tradition in, uh, in France, Germany, or in, in the UK in the uh, in, uh, 19th, 18th century, of uh, imagining buildings in, uh, in ruins. So here, the Bank of England, Chatsworth, Blenheim, etc. So in a way, it was the kind of starting point of putting together a few works like this, Walid Beshti, robots, kind of mannequins, which take a computer or kind of um, a printer or a scanner bed and dismantle them and pearl and kind of they keep, keep working. They keep, try to... Oh, they do? Yeah, yeah. They still try to kind of tune in and do what they were programmed to do. Don't we all? You know, Glenn Ligon. <laughs> right, tell me about it. And then uh, Glenn Ligon, Debris Field, uh, ideas of, you know, kind of memories and monumentality, Katrina P and characterizing. So... No, it's fun. It's a it's good cross-section of the gallery's atmosphere and talent. Well, you, yeah, sometimes it's, kind of, it's, it's also a good way to actually make sense of the connection between artists and artworks because you run a program and sometimes when you're, if you put one, one work by each artist, you know, how, do you, how do you go back and kind of know, know why somehow at some point you know, you've kind of put all these artists together in one family? Yeah. And what about, I mean, this drives traffic during a week like this. Obviously, you're doing events. You've got a strong program at the gallery as well. Is there a conversation between the two? Does one miss out when the other one's doing well here? I wonder what the conversation, for want of a better word, did that man just pinch your bum? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that man is Jack Miller, actually. Uh, well, um, uh, yeah, exactly. So, um, uh, yes, I put, always, put you off. Uh, the, always, uh, the, the, we, the, what we have at the fair will condition what we have at the gallery, or more so, the, what we have at the gallery will condition what we have at the fair. So, we, uh, if we have a solo show on the booth, we'll do something else. No, but we, we have to complement complement things. We can't exhaust ourselves in shooting in too many directions. It has to be, uh, it has to be interesting for us, for the artists, and for all of you. Yeah, perfect. And it gets crowded. It's getting crowded this time of year. Lots of people are going off to Paris Plus next week and bits and bobs. But this is, seems to be... Well, you tell me how, what, what the future looks like for Freeze when the art fair calendar gets so, so crowded. What happens to Freeze, you know, the, the fairs don't really have a shelf life, but they, become, they, they are exciting for a while. They come back. I mean, Freeze managed for 20 years. Basel has been steady. There's a lot of talking about this kind of Paris versus London, but... If you want to concentrate on hard facts, you know, these places are so different. And that's great that they are. They complement each other two and a half hours away. Paris has got things that we don't. And likewise, London has things that Paris will never have, you know. So I believe that in a way, you know, even due to their proximity, that has always been the case, all right? You know, there are so many artists, so many galleries, so much first in London traditionally, you know, from everybody, the public, all sorts of crisscross of different worlds that there is there is absolutely no way that one fair could swallow or could kind of make the other one go away. No way. And just finally, Francois, dealing with artists, having them as your buddies, working in this world is fun. It's a great place to be. It's a lucky place to be. It's lots of hard work doing these fairs and everything as well. Do you still get a buzz of adrenaline when a fair opens? Because selling stuff is fun. Talking about work is fun. But selling stuff is a good buzz, presumably, as well. Is a fair like freeze a happy medium to get both those fixes, I wonder? Yeah, you said it better than I would, you know. The, the artist, they get you out of bed in the morning, setting up a fair. There's nothing like it. You see the people you haven't seen for six months, a year. You know, you are up to the very, the, the, the few minutes before it opens. 
and uh, that little that little kick when you sell something it's 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 yeah it's very difficult to replace when the fair closes and it starts to, works of art starts to immediately go down i can't think of anything sadder François Chantelat, partner at Thomas Dane Gallery there. Next up on today's show, Grimm Gallery represents over 30 international artists and has spaces in Amsterdam, London and New York. I caught up with the director of the London branch, William Hine, to find out how Fries floats his boat. We wanted a little context, so here he is first with a little potted history of Grimm Gallery. So the gallery was founded in 2005 in Amsterdam and so is approaching nearly its 20-year anniversary. We opened last year in London, which was the, the third geography for us after New York about five, six years ago. So it's been a, a slow and steady expansion, sort of tapping into uh, the key kind of art markets, but also where our artists are based. I think it's been important to reflect that we have spaces uh, where we can connect very closely with our artists on the ground. Um, and how important is, is doing this physically, is getting back kind of post-pandemic, post-selling stuff online, you're selling, from the look of the booth today, a lot, of, a lot of painting. How important is the physical space, and particularly the physical space here at Freeze? Yeah, Freeze has always been very good to us, actually. I think we're, we've been doing the fair for nearly 10 years, and it's great because it's obviously a chance for collectors from all over the world to come and see us in one place. We are the only Dutch gallery that does Freeze London, so it's great for all of our Dutch collectors to come and see us here, but also for us to connect with people from US and Asia. And of course, participating at the fair in London for such a long time really meant we could hit the ground running when we opened a space here because people already knew us. And yes, it means that we've been able to bring artists from across the program, um, working in painting and sculpture particularly, from some of our most seasoned established artists like Daniel Richter, right the way to our youngest artist from the UK, Tommy Harrison, uh, who's having his freeze debut with this painting behind us. He had a solo show with us in New York at our space in Tribeca early this year. But uh, yeah, he's a really exciting artist to watch. Um, well, let's, let's try and describe this. This is a, 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 it's a large, very bold painting, figurative, slightly surreal painting. I'm getting Holbein, I'm getting Paul Delvaux, I'm getting all sorts of wonderful, spooky things here when people come say I was a punter who's to say I'm not um, when people come to the booth will and they ask for a little pressy of, of this work what do you tell them it's a good question because yeah there's a lot happening here and I think with Tommy you have a real painter's painter he absolutely adores old master painting the kind of northern renaissance but also yeah Dutch golden age he's really interested in the fundamentals of painting and constantly challenges himself to paint at the top of his game. So I think there's that element of yeah, theatricality and surrealism that you see, which is referencing art history, but also he's very attuned to his contemporary moments. So I think there is these kind of more geometric underpinnings, and, but he's also looking at interiors, he's looking at figuration, he's also looking at religious iconography, but in a very contemporary way. And yeah, you have a lot happening here. It is slightly surreal, slightly dark, but I think also there is a, a kind of humour and ingenuity. He really knows what he's doing, and it, it's definitely drawn people onto the booth, that's for sure. Yeah, and such bold use of paint. And just behind this, this is another striking work. This caught my eye when I was walking around yesterday. Can you give us a little pot shot at what we're looking at here, Will? Yep, so here on the other side of the booth, we have Francesca Mollett. On the contrary to Tommy's work, which is figurative, Francesca is amongst a really exciting generation of 
abstract painters based in the UK. She graduated from the Royal College of Art about three years ago and previously studied at the Royal Drawing School and uh, Wimbledon. Uh, and the work does actually originate with kind of literal reference points. Often she's looking at architecture and nature and taps into a kind of chemical or biological process that may be happening. I often feel the painting is quite geological in a way. So she starts by tracing out some aspect of an image she's taken or found, but then really allows the process of painting to take over, which leads the actual composition down these various avenues of quite sparse, loose painting, but then also really built up dense oil paint. The result is really interesting and certainly had a lot of admirers this year. Yeah, it's wonderful. I'm getting sort of, there's an impressionistic vibe to it and some sort of climped romance and some beautiful colours. Yeah, it's a sort of stunning, it's a really stunning work. And in, in terms of programming, programming the booth, choosing the works, choose a kind of cross-section of what's going on in Amsterdam, London and in New York, I suppose, give people kind of a, an equal bite of the cherry. But yeah, broadly, what are your reasons for choosing the works you've chosen here? Because it's, you've got to kill some darlings, I suppose, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, we have over 30 artists in the programme and we'd love to show them all. But I think we decide each year with our international art fairs to, to kind of mix things up for different territories. And this year there is a bit of an emphasis on our British painters, but also the Dutch artists we work with as well. And actually this year for the first time we're introducing the latest addition to the gallery, who is Robert Zandvliet, a very established Dutch painter who is really revered and well-known in the Netherlands but is yet to have his first show in London, which we will actually do at the gallery next year in April. So that's really exciting. We have two works out by him that you can see at the moment, and they've also been turning heads. And yeah, a really well-respected painter. So I think we are trying to reflect yeah, the breadth of the programme, showing some of our key British artists, key Dutch artists, and artists from further afield as well. So it's yeah, a great opportunity to come and see a lot of what the gallery has to offer in one place. And just going back to the physical nature of, uh, of Freeze and, and, and fairs generally, how important is it for you guys to be able to meet up with other dealers and other galleries, curators, collectors, obviously? But, you know, how, how collegiate is it amongst the galleries here and amongst the ones that haven't been here since, since 2003, since 20 years ago? Yeah, I mean, it's a great place to come as a gallery participating also because you get to see other galleries from all over the world it's unrealistic that I'm going to get over to, to Cape Town and Hong Kong several times a year to see these galleries programs. So yeah, it's a great chance to learn what other galleries are doing. Yeah, I think people on the ground are really helpful. You know, there's two days of in-store where you kind of see all these people that you see once a year and everyone has a bit of a catch-up where possible. Everyone's, you know, happy to sort of help each other. And I think everyone's very curious about each other. You know, other gallerists come onto our booth and say, who's this? And, and we do the same. So it's for a participating gallery also a great place to learn meet other galleries and as you say meet curators as well and see what they're looking at because you know it's really important to see to take recommendations and just sort of keep an open mind and art fairs although they are places for kind of commercial activity can be a really good place just to see what's going on in the rest of the world my thanks to grim galleries william hine for speaking with me there at their particularly striking booth and what of that question of edge? Well, someone who might be able to help out here is Nicole Estilo-Kaiser, the Associate Director at Public Gallery. We caught up beside an intriguing replica of the wash basin in the men's loos at the popular London gay cruising spot Wood Green Mall. 
And this is an installation by Adam Farasad. And Nicole tells us more about the work. The artist actually describes this space as a congregation of momentations. So he's thinking about different sites and architectural spaces in London that have allowed him to tap into memories from his childhood and adolescence. So we're between Staples Corner, which is what's shown on the billboard on the front of the booth, and the Wood Green Shopping Mall, which is in the men's toilet, actually, by the washing basin. And we can hear this is the, the kind of communal wash basin sound effect there. It's um, a popular cruising spot in London so the artist is referencing both the locker rooms from a secondary school as well as the men's toilets at the mall. And then behind us on what looks something like a little bit of gym equipment but also looks like the sort of wind chimes you get in an Asian some sort of Asian temple perhaps but what's what what are we really looking at here? Well they are Koshi wind chimes which are used in sound therapy and healing and then at the end the weights are poppers bottles and it's all being hung from a pull-up bar structure. So again, a reference to gyms as well as the artist's reflections on addiction and healing. And does this make a noise when we strike it? Does, it? Yeah. It's a strange scent. The scent from the hand washer and the bells and the chimes, are, they make a sort of beguiling mixture. It's a wonderful thing. And have you won the best booth award here at, at Freeze? We were very excited to share, yeah, the Focus Stand Prize in addition to the Freeze Tape Fund Acquisition Prize. And if people wanted to come and uh, look at this work in situ or explore some more of your stuff, where would they find a physical space that isn't uh, at the Freeze Art Fair? Well, we work with the artists. We're based in Spitafield's Public Gallery on Middlesex Street. And also, by the way, we're standing on a sort of we're standing on plastic flooring, which yeah. I'm sure doesn't pass muster for the Meisters at Freeze. Tell us about this. The plastic-covered carpet is a reference to the council flats that the artists grew up in, as well as the dado rail that's surrounding all four walls of the booth. Yeah, this looks like very kind of 60s, 70s council house kind of vibes in here. That's presumably, presumably what the artist is getting. Yeah, he, his father would actually add the dado rail to the different apartments that they moved to and from while he was growing up as a way of making it feel more like their home. Well, thanks for having us in your temporary home this afternoon. Thanks. Thank you. That was me talking to public galleries Nicole Estilo-Kaiser. And finally on today's show, we look to the future of Freeze and the role of the fair in supporting up-and-coming artists. In this edition's curated section, established artists were invited to propose rising stars within the art world as counterparts for solo presentations. The person selected under the artist-to-artist scheme by no lesser luminary than Tracy Emin was the painter Vanessa Raw. Surrounded by Vanessa's dreamy, sapphic paintings, I asked her to tell me about the genesis of the works. All the landscapes kind of start from places I've run through and they kind of represent, they do represent a bit of a dream world because that even places I've run through is just a starting point for something else really. I'm kind of painting a feeling rather than anywhere particular. And they're all landscapes that kind of protect, like this protective environment that protect the women in there. And I'm centering women's pleasure as the forefront because obviously throughout art history, it was all usually for male gaze, violence done towards women, centering women's pleasure was rarely done. And there's something of, I mean, I feel like there's a Gauguin's gaze. Somehow we're in that world as well, which is obviously a troublesome and very male gaze as well. We're in somewhere, we're not in tropical territory, but we're in a similar sort of dream world perhaps and in a similar colourscape. 
And you mentioned these are landscapes through which you run. You're obviously an athlete that's also a painter, or you were an athlete that is now now essentially a painter. What the the landscapes, did they call out to you when you were running through them as good places to paint at a later date? Do you have a dual relationship with these places? I've always just loved being in nature, particularly woods and forests and it helps calm me down obviously yes I was an athlete before I was an artist first and then triathlon sidetracked me for a while and I got back to my art but I've always ran all the way through it and running is kind of my escape and I guess the landscape is also part of that I like to kind of create that same feeling I feel when I'm running in the painting. You're in a special section which is this artist to artist section of Freeze for its 20th anniversary as well and your work was chosen by Tracy Emin, who's obviously a Margate native. That's where your practice is based as well. What does that, I don't know whether it's essentially a mentorship, but that choice of, of hers, of your work, what does that mean? I mean, she's spoken passionately about how she loves the passion of your work on the wall text next to us. But what does it mean for you? Having Tracy's backing, support and confidence has been life-changing for me. And obviously... I doubt I would be here without her, you know. I mean, it's it's everything. I'm not the most confident of people, so just having her confidence behind me it means a lot. And her work is similarly honest, if that's the right word. It's certainly that. It's been known to be that. And it's similarly feminine and it's similarly bold. If I may say that there are similar attributes that they share with, with your work. Do you see some sort of echo, some sort of at least dual appreciation there? Do you understand why people are making that connection? Yeah, I I think so. I mean, when I first started doing this work, it was a big decision. I felt very vulnerable. I felt big yearning to make it. But obviously there was a part of me who was a bit scared. And having Tracy there behind me saying, this is amazing, you've got to do this. That was everything. And just finally, on that relationship and on that choice, how far does that go down to, you know, you're both based in Margate or around Margate? There's certainly that connection does that work in terms of studio visits is that just camaraderie I wonder what form that takes if I I may ask so I'm in the studios and that's separate to the residency in the residency she has more influence I think in the studios she leaves us up to ourselves to do our own thing really but she does pop in now and again and says what she thinks The artist Vanessa Raw there. And that is it for this week. My thanks to all of my guests at Freeze London. And once again, many happy returns to the good ship Freeze. Monocle on Culture is produced by Sophie Monaghan-Coombs and Steph Chungu. And Steph also edits the programme. Thanks also to Mariella Bevan and Jack Dewars for their help this week. We'll be back at the same time next week. But until then, from me, Robert Bounds, thank you very much for tuning in. (laughs) 